0: And all welcome to this week's Red Voices. Thanks for stopping by as ever. I'm Ewan Lennart and joined this week by the reputable Rich Can. So, it's an international break. But for once, this season, United go into it on a relative high after beating Middlesbrough at the weekend and sneaking through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. With the only real blot being that FA Cup quarterfinal defeat to Chelsea. Time to do a nice big roundup. Rich, lineup, feeling from Sunday lunchtime. That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> for the Middlesbrough game. The only time I can remember feeling like that was when we were going to the Liberty Stadium and we were seeing, what, Phil Jones, Marcus Rocco, and Carrick was starting his first league game of the season there. It gave me that sort of awkward sinking feeling, especially as well as Mourinho had said after the Rostov game. He didn't expect us to win. No. I, I mentioned the other day that you can imagine if uh, if Moyes had said that, there'd have been hell to pay. Although,
1: admittedly, I, I got to the point where Moyes could have said something. Perfectly palatable, and I'd hate him for it anyway. But yeah, I think that was just a case of mind games, really, wasn't it? Or trying—he was just trying to emphasize his point about the fixture list. Whether whether that's right or wrong, we'll probably discuss later. But um, but it was a, it was a tough one. I almost felt like Mourinho picked the, the team for the game almost as to make a point, to make his point about the fixtures and how he couldn't—you know—there were too many games and he couldn't select this player and that player. You know, he left Mkhitaryan out for, for reasons. Just he said because he was just resting him. Um, I've never really quite worked out why Mourinho thinks some players can't play two weeks and some can. But anyway, but he, he took a gamble, really, didn't he? I mean, he had played obviously Herrera and Pogba were not there, and Ibrahimovic. But he took he took a gamble on the team, and, and fortunately it paid off.
0: Yeah, it did. I mean, we won. Good times. Yeah. Superb. Yeah, it, it was a funny one, wasn't it? It was because with seeing that lineup, you didn't necessarily expect United to have particular control. And as they were pointing out on the coverage. Possession wise, we didn't necessarily do all that well. But for the first hour or so, up until we went 2 0 we we had pretty good control over it. You know, they play I mean, you know, we'll come on to Jesse Lingard in a bit more depth, but they certainly Middlesbrough played to our strengths on Sunday afternoon for sure. You know, it certainly helped that they they certainly allowed us to play in those situations and when we were catching them on the break, we did look pretty, you know, dangerous. You know, Meta and Lingard were playing pretty well. Rashford had two or three, you know, clear chances on goal that perhaps you should have scored from. And, you know, in the end, the first of two agents in Middlesbrough's team, Fabio missing Fellaini for that deep cross from Ashley Young's... Uh, well, from that deep cross from Ashley Young. And then Fellaini to nod in to the first goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the key issue for Middlesbrough in that game is that they're just absolutely wretched at football. They'd scored... I think they'd won one game in 13, they'd scored three in their last 10 Premier League games, and they're absolutely terrible at football. And fortunately, we put out a team which was more terrible than than that you would normally be but it was still too good for Middlesbrough
0: um you were tempting fate so much on twitter before kickoff saying Middlesbrough haven't scored in, you know seven years they haven't won a game in about a decade and I was just thinking Rich just no stop this is <laughs> this is not good I yeah. know you were trying to emphasize a point but it, it gave me an awful awful sinking feeling I
1: did the uh, I did the same thing before the Bournemouth game and that backfired terribly um yeah but I I think one of the key things in that game were the two Two key things. I think it was very interesting that Mourinho um, pushed by to to ride right back and played Valencia further up, which I think worked very well. And also having Rashford in there um, rather than Ibrahimovic for this particular game allowed us to to play a counter attacking game. And mm. whilst Rashford's finishing wasn't the best on the day, his pace and movement was a real problem for Middlesbrough all the way through. And the number of times we we, we sprang out of them, as you say, Matter and Lingard sort of. Supported well, and the first half, the number of times we were in on the right hand side of the box, and with you know, with space to deliver, um, and we just kept ballsing up, or Valdez a pull a save, or whatever. You know, interesting, we'd attack that way the whole game, and then we scored in the most industrial way possible, just getting the ball to Ashley Young, who crossed brilliantly. And, and there was Fellaini, unmarked.
0: Hmm. I mean, that was a funny midfield combination one, <laughs> you know, with uh, Carrick and Fellaini. I wasn't necessarily sure how that was going to play out. And as as was spoken about many times, you know, Fellaini's been a much maligned member of the team. But he, I think we're all in agreement. He played pretty damn well on Sunday.
1: He did and he played well when he came on in midweek as well. I, I'm torn on Fellaini. On the one hand, there's this guy who we know isn't technically good enough to be a Manchester United Football or a Manchester United starter in a successful team. We know that, and he'll, he'll be inextricably linked with Moyes, which was the truly hideous eight or nine months in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. But, and I think a lot were surprised when Mourinho didn't uh, push him out at the start of the season. But on the other hand, he's a guy who never complains. He doesn't mind playing one in five games or whatever. He's been barracked, you know, barracked quite a lot by the crowd. He's been booed at Old Trafford, which had don't really recall ever hearing for another United player before but he just you know he gets his head down he doesn't whine about it and he and he he's sort of developed a use this season hasn't he he's he's just kind of an alternative presence for us that when when other things aren't working Fellaini potentially offers a different route to goals hmm. and again I think on 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 Sunday that that was the issue we were we were, we were breaking and trying to score goals from uh, breaking wide areas and and, and three balls through the middle and then we, we weren't being successful and ultimately Fellaini offered a different route which was to isolate Fabio at left back and get a header in
0: mm. yep yeah. and things got even better when Jesse decided to do it manless in the second half I mean obviously it helped that everyone was sort of backing off from him and if I recall correctly there were options to pass to uh, Rashford and Matter in the build up to that but he, you know, it opened up for him so he thought why not and good grief what a hit that was he doesn't really score ordinary goals that boy
1: no, he doesn't. This is, this is part of the Lingard conundrum, isn't it, really? I mean, I think everyone can see that mm. he doesn't have any outstanding attributes that would make him an obvious starter for United. And he'll have a few fairly nondescript games and we'll all be chuntering about how, how he's not quite good enough. And then every so often he just pulls out a pearler like that and you have to, mm. you have to completely reassess your debate. It, he'll, be, he'll be largely rubbish for the next month and then he'll <laughs> purl one into the top pearl one into the top corner at City or somewhere like that, we'll all be like, oh, thank God for Jesse Lingard.
0: I mean, lovely, lovely finish. You know, Valdez had absolutely no chance at that, and I don't think he even expected Jesse to go for that shot. So uh, the only frustrating thing about that goal was the reaction immediately afterwards, which I believe was to bring Marcus Rojo on. So, how many? Five or six defenders on the pitch at that point? Mm -hmm. That was one of those instances where Mourinho seemed to get the team selection correct. You know, we predominantly played on the counter and gave Biddles with some real problems. And then us sitting back and not killing the game off completely, having too many defenders on and this really sort of rough, jagged shape where no one necessarily knew what they were doing because there were so many defenders on the pitch didn't help us at all. We just lost our way in any sense of attack after the Lingard goal. And that was really, really frustrating to see.
1: Yeah, I think there are two two issues with, with, with that substitution and what happened after it. The first is that Mourinho just has this tick whereby he substitutes matter on the 70th minute of every game, regardless of how he's playing. Mm. Which, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I mean, watching him, he doesn't appear to be blowing out of his rear end by the 70th minute of every game. It just seems to be this thing that Mourinho does almost out of habit, like Van Hall substituting his full-backs, or one of his full-backs, yeah. for no apparent reason at all. Um, the other is, as you say, bringing on Rocco. And from having controlled the game and really played a very a very sensible, effective game before that, we suddenly just decided at 2 0 up with no for no reason at all to sink back into ourselves, you know, string five at the back and basically play into middles for strength or the, the closest thing they have got to a strength, which is which is having tall men up front and fuzzing crosses in. So we essentially had twenty minutes of that, which meant that we that we had far more pressure on on our goal than we needed to, and there was absolutely no attacking outlet at all for that for that last twenty minutes.
0: No, it was really really difficult and frustrating to watch, in particular, because again, Middlesbrough had caused us a couple of problems in the first half, but there certainly wasn't anything to suggest that they were absolutely battering on the door. And then you know that ball came in, and I've got a certain amount of you know patience with Smalling for that. You know, not clearance, but a better defender would be alive to the situation and just hoof it clear. And unfortunately, he is not a better defender. Yeah. And, you know, Rudy pounced, and there we are, 2 1. And then, you know, the pressure didn't really let up until the second agent of the day, Victor Valdez, yeah. let the ball run across him and then the mere presence of Antonio Valencia uh, made him slip up and then the most simplest of tap-ins for uh, our favourite Ecuadorian. One of my favourite comments about that goal was, despite having an empty net and standing right in front of goal, he still refused to use his left
1: <laughs> He did, didn't he? just brought it inside and tapped it over the line with his right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was... That, I'd say that's probably a goal that Valencia deserved for his overall contribution to the game. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's been one of our best players this season, and I think he's been absolutely. You know, he's one of the players that you could say Mourinho has definitely revitalised. Um, going back to the Middlesbrough goal, um, when you mentioned Chris Smalling, I know we've had we have this discussion quite regularly because Chris Smalling has has at least one bollock in him every game, which is what. Really separates him from a top-class defender. It's just, it's just a concentration thing, and and obviously his distribution as well. But in terms of his defending, it's just a concentration thing, and he just loses, I don't know, he just loses focus every so often in the game. And you know, we can see the goal to Middlesbrough, which is pretty, pretty, pretty shambolic at, at, at the best of times.
0: Well, it's your fault because you mentioned that they hadn't scored in about seven months before we started the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 hands up, I'll take the blame
0: for that. Good. That's fair enough. As long as, we, as long as we understand that.
1: And what's 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 very interesting is that um, we've we've seen Mourinho being very passive on the on the touchline in, in recent weeks. He doesn't really celebrate goals. Uh, we won the League Cup, and he looked like he looked like someone had just shot his granny. Um, <laughs> but on Sunday, that was very that was that was very different. He really pumped by the goals. He celebrated you know, relatively wildly, and then for the third one, he ran off down the tunnel,
0: pumping his Pumping his fist. Yes, that was pretty nice to see, wasn't it? It really wound up the ABU, so that was really nice to see, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it did. I mean, that's what we want. I, I wonder if I wonder if there's he's made a, a conscious effort to be less emotional on the touchline since he got ridiculously done for kicking a bottle and you know had a couple of couple of touchline bands, I think, mm. didn't he? But you know that was a pressure game on Sunday. Every time we've had a chance to to move out of sixth place, we've blown it every single time, and it's it's been incredibly frustrating. Mm. Well, obviously, Arsenal had lost, Everton had won, so we'd moved down to seventh as well. So that was a really, really big game, and it, it was an important three points, and hey, we're fifth, which is...
0: Remarkable. I hadn't even thought about I completely forgot about that. Absolutely wonderful scenes. But yeah, seeing as seeing as we developed quite an intense relationship with sixth place to moved up was wonderful. You know, there's plenty of, you know... Snickering going on for us, enjoying the fact that we're in fifth place. But to be fair, we were in sixth for a bloody long time, so to see us go up was yeah. I'm not going to lie, I really enjoyed that. Superb, and yeah, given how Middlesbrough were posing us some serious questions, you know, Rudy Gestede had uh, yeah asked some, a lot of questions of the defence, and Phil Jones and Marcus uh, well Marcus Rocker was all right when he came on, but uh, yeah. Jones and Smalling did not cover themselves in glory whatsoever in that second half or necessarily the first half. So to have gotten through that game and especially to have, you know, rounded off the result purely down to Valencia just willing to run at a situation that seemed to be completely dead and then tap in for the third was great, you know, it was such a relief. And given that we'd played Rostov, you know, not even 72 hours previously to have gotten through that game, all right. We made seven changes, so only four of the players that beat Rostov on the Thursday night started to have gotten through that game in that manner and to have really had to grind it out despite the fact that we made some errors and you know marino didn't perhaps manage the game as well as he could have done was exceptionally enjoyable and a massive massive relief because as you mentioned so many times over the last few months we've had the opportunity to either win a game at home that we should really be winning knowing that the teams above us are playing each other, and we haven't taken advantage of it. To so have actually been able to do that, given the circumstances and given how much football we have played of late, it was absolutely great.
1: And I think, I think going into the uh, international break as well, with uh, you know, on a relative high, is is important. You can imagine if <clears throat> you know, can imagine being an Arsenal fan or an Arsenal player or Wenger now, and you, you've lost four of your last five league games, and you've got two two weeks to sit on it and stew about it, whereas we can we can go into this break. Uh, you know, relatively good, relatively good spirits, and looking forward to the the West Brom game in two weeks. And if you look at the fixtures that um, that the teams of others have got, certainly that that City and Liverpool have got in the next few weeks, there is an opportunity for us to um, to to make up ground and perhaps even just sneak into that top four before we before the the really tough fixtures
0: start. It's true. I mean, nine games to go. In the month of April, which is just ridiculous, you know. I think we'll come in. Uh, we'll come on to the, you know, what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months to run off the season a little bit later on. But yes, to have uh, gotten through that fixture, given everything that surrounded it, and given the manner that United have struggled in similar situations this season, was exceptionally heartwarming and enjoyable to watch. So yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how we uh, deal with that and the, the incredible fixture list that we have and the Europa League because we're in the quarterfinals. Richard, hurrah! I guess the the less said about uh, the away tie in Russia, the better, you know, very, very terrible, terrible pitch and, you know, lovely setup from Zlatan for Mkhitaryan's goal and the uh, the <laughs> the home team got that, you know, well, Phil Jones, not necessarily playing the offside trap or the man for the equaliser on the night, but I guess that gave us a good sort of basis in which to go on. Second leg in particular was definitely something of a slog though, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm not really quite sure why, but Mourinho decided to have a, a a very brief experimentation with three three centre-backs and the problem in the home leg we had with Rostov is that certainly on the left-hand side if you're playing Daily as left left wing back he's obviously the slowest man in in humanity and we didn't have any any pace on that side of the pitch which which really limited us so we we were you know primarily had to attack down the middle or, or or on the right Rostov aren't a great team attacking wise but they're they're clearly very difficult to beat. For we've seen that they beat Ajax, they drew twice with PSV, uh, they lost only lost by a goal to um, Atletico, <coughs> and obviously they beat Bayern Munich. So they're not they're not
0: pushovers. No, I mean I think there was a lot of build up in the build up. There was a lot of chat about yeah, you know, there was a lot of chat about United definitely getting past this team, and it didn't necessarily pan out that way. Or us playing at a higher level wouldn't necessarily have got through that tie a little bit easier. But it never really felt like right throughout the entirety of those two games that Rostov were as bad as everyone was saying they are and that we were going to just waltz through this tie and that the away goal was such a gigantic thing that it would give us breathing space and then go on and win 2 3 4 nil at home. It was a weird one.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I think we were in a very comfortable position having with, an, with the away goal, so we, we could afford to be patient. But we've got this anxiety at home now, haven't we, where the longer the goal takes to come the more, the more kind of stress the the crowd gets and and obviously as we've seen this season it affects the players as well so it was I mean we had that cushion that we could draw nil nil if we if we needed to but that was that's a pretty dangerous game um against anybody and Rostov had a couple of chances on the break that um, Romero did really really well to to save so we could never we, we could never just sort of relax so when the goal eventually came then
0: I think we could all breathe a bit I mean, man of the match performance from Romero, to be quite frank. I mean, three occasions in that second half, he pulled some damn good saves out of. You know, there was the, the Bukharov header that it was almost behind him when he flicked it around the, the post. Uh, there was the Asmune uh, curling shot as well. He did well. And then in the last minute, that incredible free kick from distance that he tipped over. And immediately after that, it was full time. So, yeah, we, we we certainly do all uh, owe a rather large debt to Sergio for getting through getting us through that game on uh, several occasions. But yeah, um, a nice goal to well, what we thought would effectively seal the tie from Mata. You know, Mkhitaryan with the run, Zlatan with the little uh, flick onto Mata's path, and then a nice little tap in for Old Juan.
1: We've seen Mata do that a few times this season. He's becoming the expert of the, of the two-yard finish. What? No, no,
0: you can't keep saying this, Rich, because Burnley.
1: I know, I know Burnley, but but other than Burnley, um, he's he's made a bit of a habit of kind of sneaking in the far post and and towing over the line, and you know, given that there will be struggle to score goals from other areas of the pitch. If, if if Ibrahimovic isn't scoring, then then there aren't too many other options for us. I think Mata is is the one who's really given us a decent goal threat from that attacking midfield position. That we've really needed mm. all season. You know, it's, he's so, he, he's so it's so difficult to know what to do with Mata or the, his future because ultimately he has so many qualities. And he is a genuine goal threat and he can be creative, but he's also incredibly slow. You just wonder whether that will eventually hold him back from being a first-team player in a successful United team. But I think he's been um, as important to us this season as any of the other attacking midfielders.
0: Sure. Well, 10 goals, given United have been a team that has not scored very many of those things this season, is a notable achievement. You know, He's been... Yeah one of our more consistent forward players for sure you know it's always nice to see him get a goal because you can tell it means something and it's still this this feeling around him because he does feel like he has to prove himself still you know and it's what he was doing under Van Haal to a certain extent taking opportunities creating you know he was our best player apart from Romero on the pitch everything good that we did going forward went through him in that second leg so yeah excellent to see and you know, that sets us up nicely given the way that the, the draw has sort of opened up for us a little bit uh, to progress to the semi-final. It, relatively, str- well, I say relatively stressful. What am I talking about? Ridiculous, because it's us. Uh, a, a relatively kind draw, shall we say, with Anderlecht.
1: Yeah, I think of the seven teams we could have drawn, they'd probably be the the the, the second choice after, um, after Ghent. Not, you
0: know, not to be confused with Genk.
1: Not to be confused with Genk, and I probably just have... But you know there are some. It, the draws opened up a lot for us, but there are some tricky teams in there. We, we really could have done with avoiding Leon and Besiktas, who thankfully play each other because that takes another one out of our path. I think hmm. Celta Vigo, you know, a relatively useful side. There, there weren't any complete gimmies, but we should be beating Anderlecht, um home and away, and, and in theory gives us allows us to concentrate a little bit more on the league games that we have either side of those games as well we perhaps can rotate a little bit probably tempting fate here but if we don't get through against Anderlecht then that will be incredibly disappointing.
0: Yeah I mean we've got Sunderland on the Sunday prior to the first leg over in Belgium and then in between the two legs is Chelsea at home and then Burnley away after the second leg at Old Trafford so I mean I don't think there's any Real way we can sort of look at the fixture list in terms of what's coming up and say it's completely manageable, and you know try and plot a course for it. I think we've just got to kind of take things as they come. You know, with the Europa League though, I guess because there are so many league games to fit in. You know, the City game has now been marked for that Thursday towards the end of April, and we still haven't found a date to play the Southampton game that we missed when we were playing in the FA Cup purely because you know we might be in the Europa League, so the Premier League can't schedule it yet. The way that these next two months could go could be absolutely incredible. But yeah, I agree with you uh, in terms of the Anderlecht tie, at least. I, I do think that that is a team that we should be looking to pro- progress beyond. You know, the first leg in Germany will be an interesting one. You know, they've had a fairly useful Belgium. season themselves. So... Belgium. Belgium. Well, Belgium. What did I say? What did I say? Germany. Germany? I meant Belgium. I know what I meant. They've both got <laughs> similar colours in their flags. It's fine. But yeah, we, we have a nice fairly quick trip as well so at least we're not you know carting ourselves halfway around the continent to get to a game this time so that's a bonus
1: mentioning the the, fi- the the fixture list we've got between now and the end of the season and the how arduous it is and the fact that we've got four games against against the sides above us as well i still think it's quite a long shot that will finish top four and so oh, i agree yeah. that that you europa league could I think is really Europa League or bust for the for the final Champions League place. You know, I think looking at the teams that are left, we have to, we are favourites. We must be favourites for that tournament. And I think we'll be very it will be very disappointing if we don't if we don't make it from here.
0: For sure, yeah. And speaking of uh, the fixture list, is it necessarily a massive massive twinge of disappointment that we got knocked out of the FA Cup by Chelsea, given how things went. I think, given
1: the season as a whole, it wasn't that devastating to. To have lost that game, and mm. given our record at at Stamford Bridge, anyway, it, I think it, a lot of people had resigned themselves to to us not it, that not going our way. I mean, as it was, mm. it was particularly annoying because of the way the game unfolded. But I don't, I didn't feel desperately unhappy when we when we got knocked out.
0: No, no, I pretty much agree with that. You know, it was very frustrating to see Herrera go off, given the way that the game had panned out, given the fact that we'd actually frustrated Chelsea and looked quite useful ourselves going forward on a couple of occasions. But, you know, when you and I spoke about the red card, I think we're pretty much on the same page. It was unfortunate, and but there's, there's not too much of a reason to argue with it, unfortunately, because... We were served warning. You know, the first booking for basically erecting a brick wall in front of Eden Hazard for Herrera was a nailed on yellow card. You know, I don't think there can be too many complaints about that. And I think he would have been lucky to escape a caution. For the second one, that is not necessarily a yellow card in isolation. But Michael Oliver had just spoken to Smalling, he was captain for the night, about Phil Jones making challenges on Hazard because we were targeting him, trying to unsettle him. Didn't necessarily work incredibly well but they hadn't scored before then so there's that I guess in that instance I think Herrera just needs to manage himself a little bit better and not give the referee a chance to send him off and he presented him with an opportunity there and Oliver went for it yes it killed the game off but I'm not necessarily sure we can have too many complaints about that frustration as well is after that Burnley record early on the season that he is now out for uh, the West Brom game at the start of next month too
1: it is frustrating and I think that the point to make is that that Chris Morling as captain was was given the message that we needed to stop these niggly fouls, and then he proceeded not to tell anybody else. Um, but as you say, the weight the weight of blame, if there must be blame, should fall on Herrera. He was perhaps a little unfortunate to be booked, but you know, once once we it was obvious that there was totting up of fouls going on, and we had clearly purposefully been sent out to try and disrupt Chelsea's flow and to try and stop Hazard from from really getting into the game too much by being relatively physical with him. You know, on a yellow card Herrera really needs to take a step back and just you know, just just ease off for 10 minutes just to let that cool down and then turn it up again. But yeah, it was a really silly yellow card and obviously just it did just completely kill the
0: game. Mm, and the only frustration after that was that uh, given that we defended pretty well for the most part given that we were, you know, fresh off that first leg over in Russia it was uh, a bit of defensive lack of pressure that actually led to Angola uh, Kante's goal didn't really mention it for the Rostov game uh, it wasn't necessarily a huge thought for Sunday's game at Borough either I mean Pogba obviously getting injured in the second leg means he's potentially out for two weeks which is wonderfully timed because it's international break time but yeah Pogba really really struggled in that game I mean obviously there's the factor of a tightness because Mourinho has had him and Zlatan playing pretty much two or th- two times a week for most of the season and this has been mentioned didn't get any preseason, but Pogba really, really struggled that game, and that was yeah. as much as I love that man. That was a frustrating moment to see; he just didn't close down quick enough.
1: I think we've, we've spoken about this before that, um, and Mourinho mentioned this week he tried to uh, apportion the blame for for Pogba's injury on uh, the FA for their scheduling. But as you as you just said, <clears throat> Mourinho has consciously chosen him twice a week all season, having had no uh, no preseason. And he's played him in games he didn't really need to. He played him at Hull in the second leg of the League Cup, which I think he could have got away with. And he played him at Saint Etienne when we had a three-nil aggregate lead going into that. And you, you, we've all seen having been really excellent between late October and mid February, early to mid February, really. Pogba's form's dropped off massively since then. He's really struggled. You could see he's just knackered, and. Mm. You know, an con- a, 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 an almost inevitable consequence of playing when you're in the red zone, in inverted commas, is, is that you can start pulling muscles. And as you say, I think we, we're perhaps fortunate that it happened when it did, and that it wasn't a, a terrible tear because it does mean that he now gets a couple of weeks off, which he really did need um, and could mm. be back for West Brom, which which we we really need. So it was it was a fairly fortuitous one, and perhaps a, a message to Mourinho that. We can't get by flogging the same you know, the same big names every game without there being consequences for their body.
0: No, for sure. I mean, you can imagine a, a world exists in which Zlatan will probably have started the two games that he's missed in the last week or so, uh, props of that suspension, and probably would have started against West Brom. Were he available to? And again, Zlatan has played a stupid amount of football, given his age, and he's just about dealt with it okay, you know, in terms of fitness and everything, but it just as much as I like Pogba and I do think he's had a good season for us maybe not as good as he could have done given various bits and bobs and circumstances That that is actually as you said it, it's worked out relatively fortuitously in the sense that it might not necessarily hurt us too much and he could potentially come back pretty quickly you know you, there's even an argument to say that you might want to hold off for the underlet game maybe a couple of days sorry the Everton game in the league a couple of days after at Old Trafford which is going to be a tough test then of course you remember that West Brom beat Arsenal 3-1 at the weekend so what do I know
1: I, I think as well with. with with the way our home form has been we need to have as many good players on the pitch as possible I think I said on Twitter having looked at the, the fixture list from here we'd almost rather that game have been at the at the Hawthorns than at, than at Old Trafford because our away form this season is as good as anybody in the league by Chelsea. Um, our, our home form has, has been dreadful relative to the other top teams and Rashford worked very, very well for us away from home against Middlesbrough because we could play on the counter-attack. Middlesbrough played quite a high line and you know, he was ideal for that whereas at Old, Tra- where, at Old Trafford against West Brom, we're going to need a bit more guile to, to break them down because they're going to sit deep, they're not going to come out they're not going to give Rashford space in behind so missing Ibrahimovic could be more of an issue in that game than it was on Sunday. Pog was well, really our one of our few players who can who can, in theory, unlock a defence sitting deep. So I think it is important for us that we get him back for that game if we can.
0: That would be advantageous. I wouldn't necessarily mind that whatsoever. I mean, the only other things to mention from the Chelsea game were, of course, you know, Rojo's, uh rocco and his budding romance with Diego Costa, which was compelling viewing. I'm sure you'd agree. And uh, Rashford's you know superb chance. I mean, he did incredibly well to make that. It reminded me quite a bit of. Uh, you know the the chance that Martial carved out last season against Spurs when we lost three 0 over at White Hart Lane, just because it purely came out of nowhere and it was just pure determination and skill to make it. And the finish wasn't necessarily the end of it, but it stuck out purely because that was the only chance that we created all game. You know, I'm not knocking Rashford whatsoever, and I do think that you know over the commentary of the Middlesbrough game on Sunday, talking about you know Rashford just needs to you know just improve his finishing, there might be an element of truth to that, but you know he's 19 years old, you know he's purposefully playing less games and in different positions as opposed to playing as an out-and-out striker because United don't want to overload him because Mourinho doesn't want to put the burden of having to be United's top scorer on the shoulders of a teenager. And I think, you know, for the most part, whilst you could suggest that Ibrahimovic should have started a few less games and maybe play Rashford through the middle on a couple more occasions, he's been handled pretty well.
1: I don't think the issue is, is Rashford's finishing per se. I think, I think he's a lot better finisher than he's been showing in the last the last few weeks. He's just yeah, agree. Sn- snatching at chances. He's he's not as composed as he was last season. And I think that's just because he's not scored a great deal of goals this season. And the longer it goes, I think the bigger in his mind it's it's becoming. But every other aspect of his game, I think, is has been very good in the last two games. I think he was a very mm. decent outlet for us at Chelsea, particularly given that we only had 10 men. And as you say, that yeah. was a that was a, a wonderful run, and his his pace really makes a lot of difference, particularly away from home. I think he needs a goal goal in a, in a meaningful game, they're all meaningful now. So he he just needs a goal, and I think that will that will lift his confidence a lot. And and it wouldn't surprise me if he went on a, on a bit of a mini run of goal scoring.
0: It's the older dodge, isn't it? A goal will do him the world of good. But there we go. Let's uh, move on to today's news. Uh... <laughs> everyone's favourite German, you know, with a question mark in uh, in brackets there, Bastian Schweinsteiger's off to Chicago Fire today, Rich. Now, I'm, I'm guessing you're very, very, very well aware that I've got somewhat mixed feelings on the subject, so let's start with you on that.
1: Yeah, if I were a small ginger glazer or a wood ward, I'd be delighted because that's £200,000 a week that we're not paying him anymore for, for basically wishing people happy birthday on Twitter.
0: He does very well at it. To be fair, he's very adept.
1: He is absolutely amazing at at, at social media, but I'm, I'm not really sure that's what we're paying for. I don't understand the kind of cult status that he's accrued while he's been at United. I think it's been more in reputation than anything else. I think people were expecting expecting a world class player. You know, well, when he's been on the pitch, he's done reasonably well for us, but what the 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 result hasn't met the met the expectation at all. There are rumours of of commitment issues, or rather, you know, him wanting to be somewhere else most of the time and jetting off elsewhere when he gets whenever he got the opportunity. I mean, the Wigan game when he when when he started, you know, the way Old Trafford treated him was as if he was Cantona coming back after his eight month uh, ban. It, mm. it was a bit strange. I mean, he, there's no doubt he 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 comes across as a really nice genuine, pleasant guy. I don't think there's any issue in that regard. He just hasn't been a footballer that's remotely repaid the investment that we made in him. And Mourinho, you know, Mourinho will be delighted because he clearly wanted him out at the start of the season and for I, I imagine for financial reasons, Schweinsteiger wasn't necessarily willing to do that. And people have said, well he kept his mouth shut and, you know, didn't didn't kick up a fuss but then he's earning nearly a quarter of a million quid a week I think I'd, I would as well knowing mm. that at some point I could clear clear off to the sun or well actually he's gone to Chicago so the the driving snow wind uh, you know at any point I wanted to so I can't say I'll miss him at all and it, it's interesting that we've now in the last couple of months we've seen the exits of three more of Van Gaal signings and I think it's safe to say that of the 12 players he signed I think 10, 10 of them were his we can't can't really count Herrera and Shaw, but of the ten players he signed, who's been a success really? Marshall obviously, and Blint's been a useful squad player for us. But apart from that, you know, we almost wait. We wasted four transfer windows.
0: Yeah, this is true. I think with Schweinsteiger in particular, from my perspective, a lot of the you know emotional attachment is based on him as a person and perhaps the player that he was, not the player that he actually is now and what he can offer. And there's still a part of me that would have liked to have seen what would have happened over the last couple of months if we'd have utilised them a little bit more just to see what might have been. I guess that, just, that was like, a, it was an itch that I kind of wanted Brunio to scratch. But at the same time, Given how well Fellaini performed you know, and has done over the last couple of weeks, and the fact that he's scored some fairly important goals this season, I think there's an argument to say that you just got to let Mourinho handle it in the best way possible. You know, and whilst a lot of the United squad were sending him best wishes, so he was clearly something of a popular guy there. You do wonder, as you mentioned there, those reports that came out in the last season of him, you know, jetting off and people worrying and wondering about his commitment to the club at a time when he was injured. Um, You do wonder just how many of the squad are actually, you know, really desperately sad to see him go. But yeah, it is a shame that it didn't pan out in a better fashion for United, essentially, in the sense that we didn't get more out of him. But at the same time, it's difficult to cry over it because, you know, he only gave us a couple of really, really great moments to remember him by. But, you know, it just didn't work out. But there we go. I think we've got enough options and potentially, you know, more to come from midfield options going forward. So there we go. So before we get into Twitter questions as to our ridiculous scheduling. So, Rich, you ready for this? Yep, shoot. Yeah. Saturday 1st of April, home to West Brom. Tuesday 4th, home to Everton. Sunday 9th, away to Sunderland. Tuesday, sorry, Thursday 13th, away to Anderlecht. Uh, Sunday 16th, uh, home to Chelsea. Thursday 20th, home to Anderlecht. Sunday 23rd, away to Burnley. Thursday 27th, away to City. Sunday 30th, home to Swansea. Nine fixtures in April, my good bloody grief,
1: yeah, I mean, I think we were talking before we started recording, and i I said that in the uh, we've got exactly the same number of games left if we get to the Europa League final as we as we had in the treble season, and there was a quite an element of momentum in that in that season. Each game drove us on to the next game, but as you quite recently pointed out, we had four very, very high class forwards. <laughs> whilst the whilst the squad is smaller now, obviously the quality of the first team is nowhere near that level. I think we've just got to. What I suspect all Mourinho can do is it's hard to plan too far ahead. Is just basically firefight before every game. Just you know stick out the best team you can in any you know any given moment for any given game and just see where we go. I think, as I said before, I think I think finishing top four is an incredibly big ask now. If you look at the our last five games of the season three of those are away at city arsenal and spurs that's that's a tough gig and i i do wonder if if we're playing europa league semi-finals at around that time whether mourinho will just think you know chuck everything at the europa league and and really just not toss off the league because as we've seen he he's he's not capable filthy boy well yeah exactly <laughs> as we've seen with him in the League Cup Mourinho is incapable of picking a very weakened team he just can't do it he need, he, in his mind he has to win every game mm. and I think he'll put out competitive sides but I do think there'll come a point in uh, late April mid to late April when it will become apparent whether we need to concentrate on one or the other and I think that will end up being Europa League because that's that's a tournament we really can win.
0: It's very true, you know. As we spoke earlier on about the, the teams that are left in there, the draw has opened up to us to a certain extent. Sorry to repeat myself, but it's true. You know, it's a winnable competition for us this season. And looking at how the league fixtures have panned out, had we beaten the likes of Burnley at home and then Stoke at home. Bournemouth at home stop me before I repeat myself again but basically if we'd won all these games that we necessarily should have won that we ended up drawing then we wouldn't be in this situation so in that sense yeah the scheduling's not great but we've only got ourselves to blame you know we're in the Europa League because we weren't good enough to qualify for the Champions League last season and, you know, to win it, it's only two extra games than it is to win the Champions League. But, you know, clearly the, the travel on has clearly taken its toll. But I don't really necessarily think we can have any complaints about that. In terms of managing for the Premier League, given how many big games and big teams we still have to go, I've, I can't see a way in which we can necessarily do both. You know, it, it would be rem- it might sound ridiculous to say winning the Europa League finishing top four is a remarkable achievement because that just sounds half like Arsenal talk to be honest. But... It would be, it genuinely would be a great achievement for this side, this season, to be able to get top four and win the Europa League and confirm that we're in the Champions League next season and win a trophy that we haven't won. It would be I think, great. I would be over the moon with that. Uh,
1: yeah, we would be. I think just just looking at the quarter-finalists, the one thing we do have that's fortunate is that it's very unlikely that we're, we're going to have to travel a, a significant distance for an away leg in the in the semi-final. If you're looking at the ties, you know, perhaps Vigo would be the first... The, the, the furthest we'd have to go But otherwise you're looking at Amsterdam Or Gelsenkirchen or Leon. I mean I think Leon will be Besiktas Besiktas will be the one that we're desperate to avoid In any circumstance But you know there's a huge difference between Finishing a game at 10pm in Belgium And being home by you know, Potentially being home by midnight at one o'clock To still, you know, still Being in the air at three in the morning So and that obviously has a huge Knock on as to what you can do The next day and the following day so uh, I do think the draw and the, the teams left in that competition are as helpful for us as, as they could be at this stage in terms of the, the, you know, the, the deluge of fixtures we've got left.
0: So just segueing nicely onto questions with that one, Zombie Plague asks us, how realistic is fourth or third for United? Uh, see the last couple of minutes? Yeah, it really feels like a massive stretch, doesn't it? Yeah, it uh, does. And at Philmatic asks us, uh, are you asked about the Europa League other than as a route to the Champions League? Yeah, yeah, I kind yeah. of am. You know, we've been in it all season. I'm not. I don't. I'm not hugely enamoured with it. And I've got to admit, the way in which you know, Leicester managed to beat Sevilla, that you know, that incredible game in Barcelona the previous week as well. Just watching some of those Champions League ties has got me very, very nostalgic, and just de- the desire to get back into that competition as soon as possible. But yeah, the Europa League's been all right. You know, it's not a, an incredibly prestigious competition for a club of our stature you want to be playing the Champions League that's where we should be and that's what we're working towards but for now to win a competition that we've never won before that'd be great I'd be as I said I'd be more than happy with that.
1: Firstly it's a tournament we've not won and Hmm. and also I I guess as a a gentleman of a certain age um, I I can remember how highly rated and prized the, the old cup winners cup and UEFA cup were and mm. that that cup and his cup win in nineteen ninety one was a really, really significant achievement. you know it's something that we can always It was one of the building blocks on which fergie's dynasty was built that that success in Europe and giving those players a taste of of winning on a, a continental level and One of the problems we've had or we we are we will are continually having is that the longer we go since the since the Fergie era and the era of winning Premier Leagues, the less of the team that we have, the less of the squad that we have, have actually experienced winning that type of tournament or that, that that standard of tournament. And so winning the League Cup and winning the FA Cup were important stepping stones for them. And I think winning the Europa League would be another, another step for them. And as you say, we're nostalgic for the Champions League. And, you know, to have a big European night like that would be a really great a really great learning experience, particularly if we can get back in the Champions League next year, I think it would be helpful for us to qualify that way. As Mourinho said, we can qualify two ways, but one of them gives us a trophy, so why would we not prioritise that way?
0: Yeah, trophies are good in my opinion. They are, and they're shiny. I think there's definitely something about the mentioning the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup, there was definitely something uh, more prestigious about winning them before they were rebranded into the Europa League, so perhaps there's still a little bit of that dodgy, sort of Second cousin role when it comes to the Europa League because it still doesn't quite have that same vavavoom, does it?
1: I don't know. I might be wrong, but isn't this kind of the English snobbery that we've had towards the competition? Because continental teams have taken it far more seriously than we have from the start. And for mm. for us, it's it's been this inconvenience. You know, we take the piss out of the other sides. You know, it was all it used to be Thursday night on Channel Five, and it was it seemed like a punishment. Whereas, you know, you know, th- is it, was it a punishment for Sevilla to win it three years in a row? It's it's a European trophy, and we used to really prize those things. And I I I just wonder whether we've undersold it for a while, just hmm. out of habit, because everybody else in the country and the press have done, ex- and the clubs, the clubs themselves, by picking weekend teams, everybody's done it down. And obviously, hmm. it's not the Champions League, and it's not the trophy, it's not the competition we want to be in, but it's a European trophy. I mean, how many of those? How many of those have we won in our history? You know, four, four. Well, four, if you I don't, if you don't include uh, super cups, then it's four, isn't it? You know, that's our fourth ever European trophy, so why not sure, yeah. have an absolute crack at it and why not enjoy it?
0: No, no, great point. Right, Andrew Dayton asks uh, the three signings that will free Pogba up to play more like he did at Juventus. I mean, you know, if, I'm, if I can do a cheeky reach around, can we not just give him the midfield that he had at UV? Yeah,
1: it just occurred to me. It just occurred to me that's mm-hmm. actually our fifth European trophy. I, I think it would just need one signing to do that, and it would be it would be a, a holding midfielder. I was we saw. um Saw on Twitter today, Guillaume Balagué suggesting that um, Bagioco of Marseille has agreed personal terms with Chelsea. I think mm. that would be a shame, Monaco. <clears throat> yeah, of Monaco, because I think that would be a shame. I know it's it's someone who Duncan Castles has linked us to regularly, which means that's coming straight from Mourinho Mendes, and he can play the holding role that we need to allow Pogba to play his natural game. I mean, the other option is is Fabinho. At, at, at monaco as well who i think is technically a better footballer um though well, not quite as physically um not quite as physically strong and adept so i, I think it is that that type of midfielder i mean uh, we've seen when Karabic's played with the two of them this season we've had better balance but i think we can ha- we can have a player in there who's more physical as well and that will just allow pogba to do his to do his thing and i, I suppose if you're if you're looking at other areas of the team that would help him i think if we brought in more pace and more intelligent movement in front of him, then it gives him a lot more options. And I think for him, one of the problems he's had this season is is a, is a feeling that if, if it's not working going forward for everybody else and he has to be the person who does something special to break a side down. And I think if he's mm-hmm. got players in front of him who he trusts to do that themselves, then that pressure lifts a bit. And it allows him to be more to be more instinctive with his game, to play more naturally, and stop trying to force it.
0: I mean, the only thing to say about uh, Monaco is that how likely will they be to sell a lot of their big players? this summer? you know, they're three points clear of PSG at top of Ligue 1. You know, there's only eight games left. Financially, there might not necessarily be any need or desire to break up a title-winning side, but you know, we'll see how that pans out in the, in May slash June when the transfer window opens. At uh, Waterboy asks, is Gareth Bale the most Man United type player to never play for United? Probably, we grew up on United
1: signing the, the 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 cream of the British crop or the cream of the Premier League crop. And obviously, we're in a, we're in a different time now, and that that wasn't possible. And twenty years ago, Gareth Bell would have come to United, and he didn't. And I think he would have been wonderful for United, but you know, he's gone to Real Madrid and won two Champions League. So. that's that's the way the cookie crumbles these days
0: I wouldn't say no Uh, Vakash Patil asks if you could choose one player to play for United from our rivals who would it be I mean if we're talking just pure shit, here I think Diego Costa would be hilarious
1: yeah it would I'd love to see Alexis Sanchez at United he's the kind of direct runner and he's got the quality that we're just missing in forward areas I think he'd be
0: absolutely wonderful for us That'd be great. I'd really like to see him join us. You know, I think given that all the reports seem to be suggesting for some incredible reason that Arsenal will not pull the trigger on Wenger's new contract. And Wenger wants to stay for one, maybe two more seasons, which is absolutely incredible. Incredible. Given what has happened at that club in the last decade, it's it's impossible to see Sanchez staying. You know, in a way, it's almost difficult to see him stay, even if Wenger does go purely because he seems to be as frustrated as the fans in terms of what is happening at that club. And this just seemingly inbuilt ability to be remarkably inconsistent and the fragility that exists within them mentally. So yeah, I'd I'd, I'd agree. Sanchez would be a wonderful player to have. Right, last one of the night is from Minashe Karimi, who asks, uh, do you think players really mean it when they say good luck on your move, Bastion, or was it just for the sake of formalities? (laughs) Do you want to answer that? Um, yeah, I mean, as as we kind of mentioned before, I I do wonder just how many are going to miss him for his, I I think perhaps they'll miss him a bit more for his presence and his personality than his actual uh, sort of exploits and his work rate and his effort at the club over the last sort of 18 months, to be honest.
1: I think maybe they'll miss him as a person, but not as a footballer, I I would suspect.
0: That sounds about right to me. Cracking. Well, Rich, thank you very much for your company, as always. We're right after there for the evening. Guys, as always, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, you can find us all over the interwebs. You can get rich at RichardCan76. You, you can get me it's at you and Lennett. You can get us at Red Voices M UFC. And don't forget the blog, which has been updated weekly at redvoices.net. Have yourselves a cracking international break. We will be back, uh, hopefully, with another wonderful result against West Bromwich Albert to celebrate after that has been completed. Cheerio and have yourselves a superb week we we'll